This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This is your last chance to enter the Ohio Lottery's Fun Turns 50 promotion. Score $3,500 and two tickets to the epic party at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, where you could win part of another $400,000 in cash prizes. Enter the new 50th anniversary scratch-off or $50 worth of eligible non-winning $5 or $10 scratch-offs and My Lotto Rewards through the Ohio Lottery app. Hurry up. The last entry deadline is May 13th. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode features dramatizations and discussions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised, especially for those under 13. Something else to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Greek traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Uranus, god of the sky, approached Gaia, the Earth Mother. Uranus was as cold as the stars that dotted his realm, but he still desired his wife. He methodically removed his robes as Gaia lay on the bed, waiting for him. Uranus walked slowly toward the bed, his arousal growing with every step. Gaia smiled, but Uranus saw her eyes flick toward something behind him. He turned, but he was too late to stop the blow. Uranus screamed as pain coursed through his body. Falling to his knees, he stared in horror at the spot on his crotch where his genitals used to be. Above him, his son Cronus held a blood-spattered sickle and smiled in pleasure at his father's anguish. What have you done? Gaia, how could you? Your time as ruler here is done, father. The universe belongs to me now. Though he was in desperate pain, a sick laugh bubbled up from Uranus's throat. He struggled to his feet. Perhaps it does, but you'll meet the same fate eventually. Don't listen to him, Cronus. He just wants to scare you. Just as I have been overthrown by you, one day you will be overthrown by your children. Uranus slunk off into the night. He might have been defeated, but his prophecy would echo in his son's ears for years to come. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network, Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today, we're focusing on the Titanomachy, 
a 10-year war between the old gods and the new gods of Greek mythology. It's also commonly referred to as the War or Battle of the Titans. Leading the old gods, more commonly called Titans, was Cronus, son of Uranus and Gaia. The new gods were led by Zeus, Cronus's son. Zeus came from a line of tyrannical deities, focused only on their own power. But when it comes time for him to take the lead, will he be able to forge his own way? Or will he fall back into the abusive pattern of his predecessors? At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Much of what we know about today's myth comes from a poem by Hesiod, a Greek poet who lived between 750 and 650 BCE. He was a contemporary of the writer Homer, who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. Hesiod's poem is called Theogony, which means birth of the gods. To truly understand the story of the Titanomachy, we first need to know how Cronus, an early god, or Titan, was born. The Greeks believed that out of a dark universe, a primordial being emerged. Gaia, the earth deity, mother of all living things. As the only being, her life was defined by loneliness. She soon grew tired of the silence and through sheer desperation gave birth to Uranus, the deity of the sky and cosmos. Uranus was to be her equal and provide a home for their children. But while Gaia was warm and nurturing, Uranus was cold and prideful. Nevertheless, Uranus and Gaia became husband and wife and had three sets of children. The first set of children were called the Titans, and they were strong, beautiful, and intelligent. There were 12 Titans, and the youngest was Cronus. Gaia's second set of offspring were three children called the Cyclopes. These three brothers were hideous, one-eyed giants. While they were not attractive like their Titan brothers and sisters, they were powerful smiths. So Gaia named them Brontus, Steropus, and Argus. Her third set of children were the Hecatonchirus, three brothers who each had 100 arms and 50 heads. Proud Uranus was disgusted by the Cyclopes and Hecatonchirus. Every day he seethed as he watched them walking around the beautiful earth, marring his otherwise perfect view. His anger grew and grew until he could no longer bear to look at them. He snatched them up and cast them into a deep abyss called Tartarus. Gaia was furious at her husband's cruelty toward his own children, and she vowed revenge. She created a sickle made of flint and approached her firstborn children, the Titans. Your brothers must be avenged and your father punished. Who among you is brave enough to wield this sickle? Eleven of the Titans were too afraid of their father to take up their mother's cause, but one, Cronus, stepped forward. For shame, you would turn your backs on your own siblings 
Mother Gaia, give me the sickle. I will take vengeance on our father. I promise that when I rule the universe in his stead, the Cyclopes and the Hecaton Kires will be free. Your father is lustful and will visit me soon. When he does, you must be lying in wait. And so the next time Uranus came to Gaia and disrobed, Cronus sprung out from his hiding place and cut off his father's genitals. Emasculated, Uranus fled in terror, relinquishing his power, but not before he'd made a fateful prophecy. From the spilled blood of Uranus, Gaia saw an opportunity for creation. She produced the Furies, the Giants, and the Nymphs of the Ash Tree. And when Uranus's testicles fell into the oceans, they mingled and brought forth Aphrodite, the beautiful goddess of love. In celebration of the new regime, the male titans married their sisters, with Cronus marrying his sister, Rhea. Cronus, as thanks for your brave deed, you shall become the leader of the titans. You and your wife Rhea will rule on Mount Othrys, and the universe will prosper. But Cronus did not fulfill his promise to his mother. Because of his father's prophecy, he became terrified of any threats to his power and refused to release his siblings, the Cyclopes and the Hecaton Curus, from Tartarus. Gaia grew distrustful of her son, but Cronus was about to become even worse. Driven mad by fear, he decided that the only way to avoid the fate of his father was to eat all of his children as soon as they were born. As Rhea grew pregnant, she hoped that her husband was bluffing and would change his mind at the first sight of his child. She gave birth to her firstborn and named the baby girl Demeter. She then presented the infant to her father. My husband, please. She is but an innocent child. I've named her Demeter. Isn't she beautiful? Simply be a loving father to her and she will love you in return. No doubt that's what our father believed. And look what happened to him. I won't make the same mistake. No, please. No! But Cronus wouldn't listen to his wife. He swallowed his first child, Demeter, whole. And he wouldn't stop there. He ate his next four children as soon as they left their mother's womb. Hestia, Hera, Hades, Poseidon, all met the same dark fate. As immortals, they could not die, but were instead trapped in their father's stomach, even as they grew strong and powerful over time. Rhea was heartbroken by the loss of her children. When she became pregnant with a sixth child, she desperately approached Gaia for help. Mother, we have to be quick. Cronus will soon notice I'm gone. I know he's your son, but I don't recognize who he's become. He's changed, it's true. But perhaps there's still a way for him to recognize the error of his ways. He is beyond redemption. You have to see that. He was the only one of my sons willing to take on his father. But perhaps what I thought was bravery was really a thirst for power. If you help me, perhaps we can finally secure the release of the Cyclopes and the Hecatonchires. It's time for a new leader. One who will share power with his brothers and sisters. Very well, my daughter. What do you need? I'm pregnant again, and Cronus already knows. I need your help to hide the baby. 
Simply hiding the child won't be enough. Cronus will scour the earth if he thinks the child survives. So Rhea and Gaia began making intricate plans to save Rhea's next infant child. Late one night, after months of plotting, clouds swirled around the peak of Mount Othres, and Rhea went into labor. In the midst of the searing pain of childbirth, she thought only of saving her child from his father. With a final push, Rhea gave birth to a crying, red-faced baby. The nursemaid, one of the second generation of titans born to the lesser titans that served Cronus, wrapped the baby in a soft blanket and then left him alone with his mother. Rhea allowed herself only a minute with her newborn son, then forced herself to put the plan she'd made with Gaia into action. She called the nursemaid back, but handed her a stone wrapped in an identical blanket. The nursemaid headed towards Cronus's chambers with the stone, where Cronus swallowed it whole, not suspecting that he had been deceived. Rhea, still weak from labor, made her way down the treacherous cliffs of Mount Othres and traveled to the Isle of Crete. With a final kiss, she left the baby Zeus in a cave that she and Gaia had selected beforehand. To protect the newborn, Gaia set winds outside the cave to make constant noise so that Cronus would never hear his cries. To raise him, she assigned kindly nymphs, female water spirits who watched over local rivers and creeks, to act as surrogate mothers. And for sustenance, she gave him a magical goat named Amalthea. From Amalthea's horns flowed ambrosia and nectar, the food and drink of the divine. By consuming such sustenance, Zeus would grow strong enough to one day defeat his father. Rhea then returned to her husband's side, hoping that the plans she had created with Gaia would be enough. Zeus quickly grew into the strong god he was destined to be. He became impatient with his confines and pestered the nymphs to let him leave the cave. While he was grooming Amalthea, his beloved magical goat, they came to him with an answer. You are still young, Zeus. You must be patient. I am a god. The world waits for me. You may be a god, but your father, Cronus, is a titan, and he has all the titans on his side. If you are to face him in combat, you must arm yourself first. Perhaps the hide of Amalthea will do as armor. Amalthea has nursed me for years. I cannot kill her. Amalthea was given by your mother to protect you. You have no other choice. With sad tears, Zeus listened to the nymphs and killed Amalthea. He fashioned her hide into an impenetrable breastplate, then gave her horns of never-ending ambrosia and nectar to the nymphs to thank them. He had made his first painful sacrifice, but his journey to defeating the Titans had barely begun. We'll follow Zeus as he rebels against the Titans after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now back to the story. Zeus had just left the Isle of Crete wearing armor to protect him in his fight against the Titans. Zeus was arrogant, but he saw how the nymph's advice had helped him. He decided he needed a counselor with even greater wisdom and soon was drawn to Metis, a young Titaness who was renowned for her cunning as well as her beauty. He found her on the lower hills of Mount Othres, gathering herbs from the rocky terrain. Metis, you are as beautiful as they say. How do you know me? It's impossible not to recognize one of the daughters of the Titans. Do you not know me? You are too handsome to be a nature spirit. Clearly. And you have the arrogance of a god. You are no Titan, and yet you are foolish enough to come here, to Mount Othris. What some call foolishness, others call bravery. Medus laughed at the young god's cockiness, but she couldn't help but be drawn to him. He was more handsome than anyone she had ever seen, with dancing eyes and powerful shoulders. She blushed as he moved closer, his large frame towering over her, but she tried to hide her flustered state. It would take but a moment for me to raise the alarm. Go ahead then. Medus stared at him, but made no move to alert the Titans. Why are you here? I have come for you. Your reputation for cunning and wisdom has reached across the earth, and I am in need of an advisor. Do you know the prophecy of Uranus? That one day Cronus would be overthrown by one of his children. You. You are his son. Clever Rhea, I didn't think she had it in her. Then you know I am destined to win. Now's your chance to join me. As your advisor? Zeus smiled. He could see the desire in the young Titaness's eyes, much as she tried to hide it. And perhaps more. In a quiet ceremony on the island of Crete, presided by the nymphs from his childhood, Zeus took Metis as his first wife. She proved to be as cunning as he had heard, giving him advice on all things war. What you need are allies. Come back to bed. This is part of why you chose me as your wife, is it not? Focus. Allies, yes. There's my mother, and Gaia. No, you need warriors. Your brothers and sisters. They are trapped inside my father, you know that. Not for long. I can make you a potion that would sicken Cronus, forcing him to vomit up your siblings. You could do that? Would I suggest it if I couldn't? The problem is how to give it to him. Only his cupbearers have access to his wine. But I'm sure I can arrange something. 
With Metis's help, Zeus snuck onto Mount Othres disguised as a servant of his father's court. As a cupbearer, Zeus was positioned to the side of his father's throne. No one paid any attention to him. No one even knew who he was. Zeus bristled slightly at this fact. He was a proud young god, and part of him had thought, even hoped, that his parents would recognize him as soon as he walked into their great throne room at the top of Mount Othres. But then, of course, the plan would have been ruined. As he waited for his opportunity to strike, Zeus raised his eyes slightly so that he could look at Cronus and Rhea. He wanted to know if there was any family resemblance. In his father, Zeus recognized his own proud nose, and on his mother's face, his own piercing blue eyes. Zeus watched as his mother started to rise out of her seat, and Cronus grabbed her arm. Rhea flinched as Cronus yanked her back down, and the chatter around them died for a moment as the rest of the Titans watched. Zeus's own grip around the golden wine jug he was carrying tightened, and the metal bent under his powerful hands. He fought the urge to come to his mother's aid, knowing that he needed to play the long game now. Zeus cursed the rest of the Titans for their weakness. If they had stood against his father earlier, things never would have come to this point. Zeus himself could have been raised in the arms of his mother and grown up playing among his fellow gods. Where is my wine? Zeus frowned. He had let his mind wander and missed Cronus's signal. Now he had drawn attention to himself, the last thing he was supposed to do. The young god quickly walked to his father's side, his head bent slightly as a sign of subservience. Zeus kept his gaze on the blood-red wine as he poured it into Cronus's goblet. The poison had dissolved in it completely, just as Metis promised it would. You're a newcomer. Zeus started at the sound of his mother's voice. It was soft, almost flute-like, and he stared back into her eyes, the mirror of his own. Yes, I've just arrived from Crete. Something flashed across Rhea's eyes, or perhaps Zeus was just imagining it. Next to her, Cronus downed the glass of wine in one gulp and held out his goblet again. Zeus refilled it. With a slight wave of his hand, Cronus sent Zeus back to his position. Zeus returned to his earlier position and glanced at his father. The poison would do its work quickly. Soon, the throne and the universe would be his. Cronus raised his hand to his mouth. Zeus watched as a vein on the side of Cronus's neck pulsed. Suddenly, Cronus sputtered, thick globs of wine and blood shooting out of his mouth and onto the white marble of the throne room floor. Around him, the other titans gasped and stepped back. They'd never seen their leader sick for even a moment. Zeus smiled and stepped forward. He wasn't quite sure what would happen, but Metis had promised results. Rhea also moved toward Cronus, her eyes wide with horror. However, Cronus was clearly beyond aid. He stood, then staggered forward. Spasms coursed from his pelvis through his throat. He sank to his knees, 
foam spilling from the sides of his mouth. He retched, blood and bile pooling on the white stones. His jaw stretched wide, then cracked. Cronus let out a mighty scream as his bones shifted unnaturally, his mouth becoming a gaping hole, his jaw unhinged like a snake's. For a moment, there was silence as the rest of the Titans stared and Rhea froze behind her husband. Then Cronus spasmed and a bundle wrapped in cloth burst from his throat. As it fell into the pool of blood, the cloth opened, revealing a stone inside. Next, a hand peeled around the corner of Cronus's mouth. From Cronus's now cavernous neck, a figure jumped out. It leapt onto the marble and seemed to unfurl, growing and expanding. As it did, another figure emerged from Cronus, then another, and another, until five figures stood in the middle of the marble, growing and taking shape. Though they had been trapped inside of Cronus, their bodies were clean and perfect, their features beautiful and strong. Cronus himself let out a great whoosh of air, as though a wind was passing through him. As the light faded from his eyes, Zeus stepped forward and grabbed his hair, forcing his father to look up at him. Know that I am Zeus, your youngest son, and your death has come at my hands. Oh my. A small cry escaped Rhea's lips, and Cronus collapsed. Zeus turned to regard the five gods that had emerged from Cronus, his siblings, Demeter, Hades, Hera, Hestia, and Poseidon, stood in the center of the throne room. The Titans were in disarray, but the younger gods were outnumbered. Brothers, sisters, follow me. We must retreat now if we want to be victorious in the end. Zeus turned and led the way off of Mount Othres. His siblings followed him as shouts of alarm were raised among the Titans. After them. Zeus swiftly led the way down the craggy rocks of Mount Othres and into the forest below. He wasn't sure what condition his siblings would be in, but they easily kept up with him. He watched as they stretched their limbs and marveled at the beauty of the world around them. Zeus led the way up a secretive path to a hidden clearing at the top of Mount Olympus, the tallest mountain in Greece, where Metis was waiting. Zeus embraced his wife as he burst from the tree line, his brothers and sisters just behind him. Look at them. They're perfect. Do you know your own names? Demeter was the firstborn, then I, Hades, was next, then Hera, Hestia, and finally Poseidon. We are safe from the Titans for now, but they'll be on the hunt. Our father imprisoned you and stole our birthright as his children. The universe rightfully belongs to us. You have set us free. We shall follow your lead. We'll rest tonight, then strike against the Titans tomorrow. They're leaderless, surprised. We should catch them off balance. And then we'll be in for a long battle. Zeus's early military leadership set the stage for his later rule as king of the gods. 
This progression of authority suggests a dualistic understanding of leadership in Greek society as determined both by fate and competency. A prophecy foretells Zeus's rule. His birth order allows him to be the one saved from Cronus's maw, and his inherent ability to lead was one built into his character by the fates that shape personality. However, Zeus is also the best suited for leadership, and his actions reflect a choice to manifest his inherent skill. When tasked with responsibilities, Zeus rises to the occasion. He frees his siblings from the grip of tyranny, escorts them to safety, and inspires them to fight. These inherent qualities and chosen actions represent the type of leadership the Greeks admired in their own rulers, and Zeus's story was meant to serve as a template for the human kings who ruled beneath him. Yet much like many actual kings, Zeus still had to fight a war to gain the crown. The young gods slept on the top of Mount Olympus, the stars ice cold above them. Zeus lay next to Metis, though he couldn't help but admire the beauty of his sisters, particularly the dark-haired Hera. As the dawn rose, Metis turned to her husband. Did you sleep? No. You know the prophecy. The battle may be long, but you're destined to win. So everything is determined by fate? Even I, a god, can do nothing to change it. You want to change your destiny? I just mean, what if there's some step I fail to take? The Titans are strong and we're outnumbered. Suddenly, Zeus stiffened. He crept to the edge of the clearing, following the sound of far-off footsteps, only audible to his immortal ears. Behind him, Hades had also awakened and snuck over to join him. Two Titan scouts. Let's chase them down. No, we'll lie in wait. We can't risk them getting away and reporting our position back to Mount Othris. In another minute, the two titans, a woman and a younger man, appeared around a huge white boulder. Zeus sprang onto the man, pinning him to the ground, while Hades pulled the woman's arms behind her back. She shrieked. My son and I come in peace. We're here to join you. Lies! Throw them off the nearest cliff. Who are you? Medus appeared followed by the rest of the gods. Zeus, this is Themis, the Titaness of Justice, and her son. They wish to join us in our fight against Cronus. Can they be trusted? For now. Prove your loyalty. What news can you tell us from Mount Othris? Cronus has survived, but is weakened. Your mother stays with him. I think she feels too guilty to leave. Atlas has taken over as the leader. He is a strong commander, so I hope you've started your preparations. Don't worry about that. The Olympians are well prepared. The young gods armed themselves with weapons Metis had stashed in the clearing. Demeter and Hestia were not inclined to battle, but still pledged to fight alongside their brothers. Hera, though, picked up a sword with an excited gleam in her eye. Zeus admired her passion. The Olympians trekked back across the rocky terrain toward Mount Othres and the Titans. Zeus hoped to catch the Titans in the midst of their preparations for battle, but as they reached the edge of the forest below Mount Othres, Zeus spotted a cloud of dust moving toward him. Atlas had managed to get the Titans into fighting shape more quickly than Zeus had hoped. The Titans sped toward the gods, 
With the six gods were the Titans, Metis, Prometheus, and Themis, but they were still outnumbered. There were 20 Titans from two generations facing them, led by Atlas, the strongest of the Titans, and deity of astronomy. With a clanging of metal that sent shockwaves through the earth, the Titans and Olympians met. Mighty Zeus battled Atlas and his brother Menetius together, while Hades and Poseidon, the strongest of his siblings, also took on two Titans at once. Zeus managed to draw blood from his Titan foes, which colored the earth crimson beneath them. However, the wounds quickly healed. As immortals, both the Titans and the Olympians could tire and be wounded, but not be permanently injured. Pain and exhaustion plagued both sides, pushing them to the limits of endurance. Poseidon's sword was the first to break. Their weapons couldn't keep up with the strength of the gods who bore them. With a yell, Oceanus, Titan Lord of the Seas, swung his sword toward Poseidon's exposed head. With no weapon, Poseidon raised his forearm in a desperate attempt to block the blow. With a sickening crack, Poseidon's arm split. Zeus dared to glance away from his own battle and saw his brother's hand swinging by a tendon. Zeus threw his shield in the face of the oncoming Menetius, then stepped back, surveying the field. The Olympians were clearly losing. They continued to raise their arms to protect themselves, but it was only a matter of time before the Titans would be able to round them up. Fury and despair rose up inside Zeus, threatening to choke him. He was destined to overthrow the Titans, so what was he doing wrong? He yelled out words he thought he'd never say. Retreat! Fall back! The rest of the Olympians followed Zeus back into the forest. They were all covered in blood. Zeus pulled Metis aside. Take them back to Mount Olympus. The Titans will pursue us, but you know the paths better than anyone. I'll make it back as quickly as I can. Make it back? Where are you going? Tartarus. Perhaps time is past due for a prison break. The rebellion ends after this. And now, back to the story. In their first battle, the Titans had overwhelmed the younger Olympians. Zeus was forced to abandon his brothers and sisters to take on a dangerous mission to Tartarus, the deepest abyss in the world. As he neared it, the forest cleared. No trees grew near the edges of Tartarus, and no animals would approach. Zeus slowed for a moment at the side of the canyon, a black gash through the earth. He didn't know how the Hecaton Curus and Cyclopes would react to being freed. He only knew Cronus, his father, and Uranus, his grandfather, had imprisoned the creatures forever. But these great beasts were his only chance at winning the war. He scaled the walls down into the abyss, dropping further and further into the earth. Finally, he reached the base of the pit. Ahead of him lay what looked like a solid wall, but as he peered at it, he could see a thin line forming the shape of a doorway, the gate to Tartarus. He could barely wedge his fingers into the cracks, but he began to pull with all his might. Just when he thought his muscles might give out, he heard a creak 
and the rock began to move. From behind it, he could hear excited yells. Then he felt the rock move again. The prisoners were pushing the rock from the inside. Zeus redoubled his efforts, and the rock slid back, exposing a yawning gap in front of him. Zeus hurriedly peered into the darkness. My name is Zeus. As a son of Cronus, I have raised up my hand against him. Join me, and you'll have your chance to take vengeance upon your oppressors. Will you fight in the Trojan War? A sickly white shape appeared out of the gloom, with a single round eye staring at Zeus. Cronus promised Mother Gaia he would set us free, but instead he trapped us inside our prison for another millennia. How do we know you'll be any different? The other two Cyclopes joined their brother, their skin glowing ghoulishly in the dark. Each had crude mouths that looked like slits cut into thick hide, spittle hanging at the corners of their lipless maws. I'm granting you your freedom now. If you fight with us, it will be by choice. Behind the Cyclopes, a head appeared, then another, and another. The Hecatonchiris appeared next to the Cyclops. Their 50 heads were supported by necks that weaved through the air like snakes, questing toward Zeus like they were searching for his scent. All of the heads spoke at once, giving its voice a queer echo that reverberated in the pit. Don't trust him. He looks like a titan. He'll betray us just as they did. Fine then. I will not beg for your help. I must soon return to the battle. Your freedom is yours to do with as you wish. Zeus turned and began the climb back up the walls of Tartarus, hoping his gambit had worked. He could hear the low grumbling of the Cyclopes and the Hecatonchiris conferring behind him. We'll fight with you under one condition. Name it. After we crush the Titans, you imprison them in this very pit, and we become their jailers. It will be a pleasure to watch them in the same prison where they abandoned us. Done. Now we must hurry back to Mount Olympus. The Titans may already be there, and my brothers and sisters need our help. Not so fast. The Titans are powerful foes. You will need weapons. We had weapons. They failed us. The smiths who forged those weapons failed you. We will not do the same. Zeus watched in frustration as the Cyclopes tore metal ore from the sides of Tartarus, knowing that every second they wasted might mean his siblings' defeat. His concern was justified. Back above ground, the Titans had discovered the younger god's hideout on Mount Olympus. The Olympians had the advantage of a better position, but the Titans outnumbered them. Where is Zeus? We can't hold them off much longer. As Hades spoke, he heard a scream. He dared a glance to his right, where he saw his sister Hera trapped under a giant boulder. Atlas stood on top of it, urging the other Titans to join him. Hades braced himself as Atlas spotted him. The Titans and the Olympians had long since dropped their useless weapons, fighting now with their bare hands and any rocks they could lay their hands on. Atlas leapt across the clearing and onto Hades' chest. Hades felt the air leave his body as he hit the earth so hard that a small crater formed. Atlas lunged towards Hades' neck, and Hades frantically tried to hold him back. 
As Atlas and Hades fought, Demeter tried to push the boulder off of Hera, who was the best fighter of the young goddesses. Hera yelled at her sister to leave her, but Demeter refused. With Demeter's focus on her sister, she failed to notice the rock sailing at her head. She fell to the ground, her skull split in two. The other Olympians were faring just as badly. Without Zeus, they had no chance against the Titans. It was only a matter of time before they would all be incapacitated by their wounds. Hades' exhausted muscles began to fail him, and Atlas found his grip around the young god's throat. If you ever want to feel the breath of life again, you will yield. Oceanus and Hyperion stepped onto Hades' arms, pinning them to the ground. You fought bravely, but your little rebellion is over. Hades could barely hear the words of the Titan on top of him. His vision grew dark, and he knew the battle was done. A blaze of white light filled his sight, and he felt the pressure around his neck loosen. He gasped for air and sat up. On the edge of the mountaintop stood Zeus, a glowing lightning bolt in his hand. Behind Zeus stood the most monstrous beings he'd ever seen, the single-eyed Cyclopes and the hundred-armed Hecaton Cures. The Titans backed up, shocked by the appearance of the monsters they thought condemned to Tartarus. Hades, perhaps you can use this. Zeus tossed Hades a helmet. As Hades put it on, he looked down at his body, shocked to see it disappear. He had become invisible. And for Poseidon, a trident capable of commanding the winds. Poseidon raised the trident in his right hand, and wind began to swirl around him, forming into a cyclone. Zeus raised his thunderbolt. It crackled into the sky, drawing energy down from the heavens. The Titans gasped in fear and stepped back toward the edges of the clearing. Zeus heaved the thunderbolt directly at Atlas's heart. The Titan commander flew back with a choked scream. His charred body lay twitching on the ground, smoke pouring off of him. Zeus raised his hand, and the thunderbolt reappeared in his palm. The rest of the Olympians leapt up, reinvigorated by their brother's return. The Hecatonchires immediately proved their worth, tossing the boulder off of Hera. Then each seized a hundred rocks in their hundred arms and sent a barrage of stony missiles at their titan foes. Zeus bore down on Hyperion as he scrambled away. He avoided one thunderbolt, but the second found its mark, leaving Hyperion in spasms of pain on scorched earth. Hades darted between the other titans, dodging their haphazard blows with ease as they tried to fight a man they could not see. Poseidon caught Oceanus in a cyclone, trapping him in midair. Zeus stood over Atlas. There is only one way for your pain to end, Titan. Say the words. Yield. We yield. A cry went up from the other Olympians, and the Cyclopes bellowed their approval. 
the Olympians escorted the Titans into Tartarus, with the exception of their allies, Prometheus and Themis. The Cyclopes fashioned a gate to keep them inside the pit, and the Hecatonchires gleefully took up their station outside of it. But Atlas did not join his brothers and sisters there. Zeus had a special punishment in mind for him. He took Atlas to the edge of the earth and forced him under the mantle of the sky, forever condemned to hold the weight of the cosmos on his back. Zeus had only one more task to complete. Alone, he trekked back to the top of Mount Othres. There in the royal bedchamber, he found Cronus lying in bed, drained of energy, his skin loose and saggy around his bones. Next to him sat Rhea, looking drawn and worried. As Zeus entered the room, Rhea sprang to her feet with a gasp. She took a tentative step towards him. My son, have you... are you... We have defeated the Titans, mother. I'm here to set you free. Tears streamed down Rhea's cheeks, and she fell to her knees in front of Zeus. Zeus tenderly drew her up. You'll never kneel to anyone again, mother. As for him... He turned toward his father. Cronus's eyes, though sunken, still gleamed with malice at his youngest son. So, the prophecy was right all along, evil, ungrateful child. But Zeus only <laughs> laughed at his father's hypocritical spite. Mother, my siblings are anxious to meet you at Mount Olympus. I just have to make one more trip to Tartarus. <laughs> the Hecatonchiris are looking forward to seeing you again, Cronus. After he had imprisoned his father in Tartarus with the other Titans, Zeus returned to his new home on Mount Olympus, where Metis pulled him aside. My husband, my king, you will be the finest ruler the universe has ever seen. Perhaps. Meaning? I won't rule as my father and grandfather did. My brothers fought as bravely as I did against the Titans, so why should I command them? One of us will take dominion over the seas. One over the underworld, and one over the skies. And that one will be the god of gods. Surely you will be the ruler of the skies, then. We'll see. It depends on what the dice say. The dice? You plan to roll a pair of dice to decide who will be the god of gods? Zeus smiled at his cunning wife. How else to break the pattern of tyrants that have ruled over the universe before now? But... You can't! My wife, you've always given me excellent advice. We wouldn't be here without you. But I'm afraid this is one occasion where you won't be able to change my mind. And so Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades rolled a pair of dice to decide who would rule over which dominion. Poseidon became the god of the seas, Hades the god of the underworld, and Zeus the god of the skies and ruler of the gods. The earth was left as common ground, while the other gods were assigned roles based on their strengths. Hera became the goddess of women and childbirth, Hestia became the goddess of the hearth, and Demeter the goddess of the harvest. 
With the help of the Cyclopes, Mount Olympus was quickly transformed into a grand palace, fit for its godly inhabitants. In the throne room, Zeus sat in the center, while around him were five other thrones for his siblings. The old gods had been conquered, and the rule of the new gods had just begun. The myth of the Titanomachy symbolizes the transfer of power and significance from an old generation to the new one. Both Uranus and then Cronus try to resist the inevitable and are therefore taken down in violence, serving as a lesson to all those who fight the rise of the next generation. Perhaps more significantly, this transfer of power symbolizes a transfer of ideals from a failed civilization to the hopeful foundation of a new one. Around 800 BC, the Mycenaean civilization that had dominated the area during the Bronze Age faced economic and political collapse, leading to a Grecian Dark Age defined by nomadic living and widespread illiteracy. This collapse of civilization led to a political vacuum that allowed the rise of a new civilization around 750 BC, specifically the rise of what we now consider ancient Greece. This civilization was a complete reformation of the prior order with the Greeks, even going so far as to adopt a new alphabet and establish higher prominence of the younger gods, aka the Olympians, over the gods of the older civilizations, aka the Titans. The Titan War was not just a war between the gods, it was a war the people were fighting within themselves. As they attempted to abandon the old, their hopefulness drove them to build something new, and something they believed could be better. This hope came to fruition as they established a new political order centered around democracy, rather than one centered around royalty. These ancient cities still possessed kings and queens, but their powers were more limited than ever before. This was reflected in the fact that the god of gods, Zeus, chose to split his power with his siblings, ending the tyrannical rule of his predecessors. This foundational mythology and the political shift it represents continues to fascinate to this day. This concludes our coverage of the Titanomachy, but the Greek gods will return in future episodes. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Mythology, as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Mythology is written by Claire Epstein. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Austin, Kimberly Holland, Harris Markson, Sammy Nye, and Steve Pinto. I'm Vanessa Richardson.